Ellie, I'm so glad that you're here joining me today for our TICFA talk. I'm Devorah Enten, I'm a clinical consultant with Yesh TICFA, and it's a pleasure to bring one of the founders uh, of Yesh TICFA to a conversation today. Um, our goal will be to talk primarily about support and the ways that people feel supported when going through infertility, some of your own personal experiences, and then possibly some guidelines that you can offer to others about uh, with, when people are experiencing infertility or family and friends that are facing infertility, what are some of the things that you've noticed um, are particularly valuable? So let's start with, tell me a little bit about yourself and your story. So my name is Ellie Solomon and I live in Edison, New Jersey. I'm a former television producer, uh, which played a big part in my journey. Um, and right now I'm a Hebrew school teacher in Edison, New Jersey, uh, East Brunswick, New Jersey. Um, and thank God I have four miracle children and uh, it definitely was a road having them. Um, so I got married a little older, older than 30. Um, and so it was on my mind that I would want to have children, not right away, right away, but right away, like quickly. Um, and when it wasn't working, I was like, okay, it's time to buckle down and figure out what's wrong or what's going on. So um, we went to speak to an infertility specialist. And it was funny because we got married in December and we were calling the fertility place in August. And um, they were like, oh, well, how long have you been trying? And we really only had been trying for three months, but I'm like, well, we got married in December. So I kind of like didn't tell the full truth. Um, and they're like, okay, you know, you're 32 years old, come in um, and we we're getting started. And at the time um, they couldn't find anything wrong with us. So we got the diagnosis of unexplained infertility, which I thought was great because like there's really nothing wrong with us but on the other hand they couldn't pinpoint what the issue was so it really was like okay let's throw something at the wall if it sticks then we'll go with it um which became fr more frustrating as the time went on um but um so we started with uh intrauterine insemination IUI which is the least invasive um and they said if it didn't work after three medicated tries that we would move on to IVF. So we did some unmedicated and some medicated. And then on the second medicated, we got pregnant. Um, and then I went in for my uh, beta HCG pregnancy test and the numbers were good. And then I went back for the second one and they're supposed to double and it didn't double. So they told me, you know, just come back tomorrow. We're going to see again. And they were like, okay, you're suffering a miscarriage right now. And I was devastated. Um, I thought that everything that was going on like, was a sign. And this was around my birthday. So it was a birthday present. And it was Adar. And it was going to be good. And then I just like totally fell apart. Um, and because it wasn't like a normal, my numbers weren't going back down. They had to give me a shot of methotrexate. And when you do that, um, they say you can't try to have kids for like two months. So we were like, okay, what do we do with our time? We're like, all right, let's travel. Where are we going to travel? We're going to go to Israel. We're going to go Davin at different grave sites. And we're going to do everything that we can. And we were also going to have fun. Um, so we planned to go to a lot. We went to a lot. And um, of course, I had to go to the mikvah in a lot, which was 
really make me nervous because mikvah is definitely something that is is fearful for a lot of people and especially when you're going through this process like you know it's it's the time when you know that you failed like it's a symbol of failure um so i like tried to find uh mikvah in a lot and the woman on the phone said that there's an israeli female taxi driver who her tzedakah is that she drives women to the mikvah in a lot and this is like not a religious woman. We had a great conversation on the way and I opened up to her. I'm like, I'm here because I had a miscarriage. And I just, it was very helpful for me to like talk about it, especially with strangers, like just talk about it. Um, and then when I got to the mikvah, it really was like a disgusting, gross mikvah. Um, but I, I was like, I'm gonna make, this is what I have to do. And um, I told the mikvah attendant um, what was going on. And I literally was hysterical crying as I'm standing in this scratchy towel with like bugs all around. And I was just like crying my eyes out. And then like I went in and she gave me like the really like the nicest bracha ever. And I just felt like even in this materialistically disgusting place, like it was really I'm getting teary eyed thinking about it again. Um, it really was really, really meaningful for me. And then we went about like the rest of our vacation. We had a really good time. And then when we came back, um, we did another IUI and um, it worked, um, thankfully. And so my son, Jack, was born. And then when he was about three months old, I, I was talking, I had my OBGYN over for Shabbos lunch and he's like, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, well, I, I um, want to start again. And he's like, you know, how long have you been trying for? I'm like, three months. He's like, just go back. Because initially he was like, maybe your body just doesn't know what it means to be pregnant. It'll kickstart it. He's like, you know what works? Just go back. So I started going back. Um, and, you know, it didn't work. It didn't work. And then I had miscarriage and then it didn't work. Um, and I was very open with my parents about what I was going through. And my dad said, like, do you give me permission to be open with someone else about it. And I said, sure. He's very close with um, someone who is also an OBGYN who speaks about halacha and fertility and things like that. So my father started talking to him. And um, at one point he said to my father, like, what's going on with Ellie? And he's like, oh, nothing's working. And he goes, can I ask you a question? You're a grandson. He's a C-section, right? And I said, and my dad said, yeah. He's like, she should get her tubes checked just in case there's like scar tissue around the fallopian tubes. So my dad's like, listen, this is what he said. And so I said, oh, I already had, you know, my tubes checked before. And my dad's like, no, 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 this is post C-section. I'm like, okay. So I went back to my doctor and I said, what do you think? And she goes, let's try it. And it turned out that there was a scar tissue wrapped around one of my fallopian tubes, which meant that an IUI would not really work. Like I would get a better chance with IVF. So we moved to IVF. Um, oh, and one thing I didn't say is that between my first and trying for my second, we moved from this New York City to New Jersey. So I switched practices and the practice that I was with, they just put me with this doctor um, and she happened to have been a fellow at the place where I was the first time. So when we were talking, I would be like, well, what would, you know, the doctors at this place do, you know, like, and it was very much a partnership. And I felt like that was really, really important because she and I could talk freely. I mean, I remember there was one time where we went for our like, what happens appointment? Like, why didn't it work? And there was a fellow in her office and she's like, listen, Ellie and I are gonna speak as though doctors. So if you don't understand something, then you let us know. 
And um, I was saying earlier that my, uh, I, I was a television producer for Martha Stewart. And when you work for Martha Stewart, you have to research because you don't know what question she's going to ask you. So my fertility journey was like researched up the wazoo. So I would come into my doctor and be like, you know, I read about this. What do you think about that? And she's like, oh, that's a good idea. Let's try that. Well, that doesn't work. You know, there's, a, and it was very much a back and forth partnership. So for me to feel that way was like great. I mean, she's still a friend of mine to this day. Um, if you're watching Dr. Shastri, I love you. Um, <laughs> and um, so, so she said, yeah, let's check. And, and so like the, there was scar tissue around the fallopian tubes. And so we were like, okay, we're moving on to IVF. So then, um, and I was scared, like moving from IUI to IVF, like, is it such a big difference? Um, the medication and the shots are not different at all. And the, the procedure wasn't that much more. I mean, at this point, like, you have no privacy in that area. It's like just in my mind, it was like, I'm, I don't care about these procedures, just get it done. But then again, you know, if you're listening to this and you don't have the same personality as me, that's okay. Not everyone has to be like me. I liked to talk about it. I, it was like venting for me. And, you know, like I know a lot of people get anxiety when they're going into procedures. I, I found ways to, get my mind off of it, but whether it was like taking music to listen to so that I was distracted or, or now you can watch shows. I don't think we had really smartphones back then. Um. <laughs> can I say something when you talk about the idea of like getting, um, you were able to talk about it and when you talked about it, that offered you kind of, it was important to you and it, it was a value to you. Who were you talking to? Like, who were you turning to for that kind of support? So at that time, there was no yesh chikva and, and this was, back in like 2009, 10. Um, so I found they had news groups or community forums back then. Right. And so there was a forum called Fertility Community and they had different threads based on when you were going in for your frozen embryo transfer or your IUI, whatever it was. And so each month I would join a different thread and if it failed, you know, people would drop out of that thread and we would jump to the next one. Um, so I, I joined one that ended up between like my first and second that when it finally worked and there was a lot of, you know, ups and downs between why it did, like when it did. And those people were my people. Um, we still are in contact today. We, we all, and I was the only Jewish one. So like, especially in the December time of year, they were like all getting ready for Christmas and the big stuff. And, you know, um, I think we were pregnant. No, we weren't pregnant yet. And so we were trying to figure out like ways how we were gonna combat it on our end. Like we, and we were there for each other, giving suggestions and giving ideas um, and saying like, you know, tomorrow I'm going for this or my progesterone shot last night really hurt. And so we were, we were geographically in different places. We were religiously in different places. We were age-wise in different places. And yet we were all going through the same thing and we needed somebody to talk to. So I would be on these forums till like, you know, three o'clock in the morning talking. Um, and I would jump to different threads, you know, like all these different like um, Bubba Mices, but they wouldn't say Bubba Mices in, uh, in, in the thread, they would call, I don't know what they would call it, 
Um, but I would look up like all these different things like, oh, maybe that's would work, maybe this would work. But um, those people who were in my forum, there was like five of us and we still keep in touch to this day. Now we're friends on Facebook because Facebook wasn't around back then. Right. And we, we watched those children who are now eight years old, like growing up and my Gabriel was born the week of December, the first week of January, everybody else is December. So like, you know, in December time, it's like, happy birthday to this one, happy birthday to that one. Like we're, but did you, did you feel like there were local people, like in-person people, friends, high school friends, family community that you felt like I could disclose or share this conversation with them? So I definitely felt like I was the only one going through it. And, but I have a big mouth. Um, so, I mean, there were times when, when I would have a miscarriage, but because like my, how far along it was, what it looked like I was pregnant. So people would make a comment and I would be like, no, I'm having a miscarriage. Or I actually literally said to somebody, um, yeah, I'm miscarrying twins right now. So, but like, that's my personality to kind of like, it really shut them down. But the, in other ways, like there was, when I was pregnant with Gabriel, with my second, um, I was struggling with the fact that I contracted cytomegalia virus with him. And it was, which is basically like the flu, but the first time that you get it, if it's during pregnancy, it could be really devastating um, to the child. Um, um, and I just didn't know what was gonna be. So at one point, um, one of my friends was, her mother had just passed away. And I wasn't going to go to the funeral, not because I was pregnant, because I know some people don't do that, um, but because I was going for my first experimental treatment to try and help me get the baby, the antibodies. And so I like went to her the night before the funeral and I said, I have to tell you something. Um, I'm pregnant. And she's like, yeah. I'm like, no, um, but I'm not coming tomorrow because I'm doing this thing. And it just when I started telling my community, they were all like rooting for me and praying for me. And I, in my mind, it was like more prayers, the better. So I was very open about it. Um, my husband comes from a family that's not open, very closed about things. Um, so I, like when I was pregnant with twins, my mother-in-law was like, don't tell anyone that it's twins. Like we'll find out when the babies come out. Um, so like my husband and I were like black and white. He never said to me, don't say anything. He just let me be on my journey. Um, but, you know, in looking back, we handled things so differently. Um, but, you know, thankfully, I mean, thankfully he was good to me because I honestly didn't even look in his direction. Like I was just do you like, think that he, what do you think he needed in terms of supporting a male? You know, you say you were very clear about what you needed and what you wanted in terms of support. What do you, what do you see, if you look back reflectively on that time, what did he need? So he once said, to, when, when, when we finished our journey, we had a bunch of frozen embryos left over. And I said to him like, okay, let's fill out the paperwork to have them donated to science. I called the rabbi, it's totally fine. You just need to sign these papers. And he's like, I'm not signing these papers. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I don't want them donated to science. I want them discarded. And I said, but we worked so hard for them. And he's like, listen, you didn't ask me and I didn't come to you about anything. This was like, you know, because you're the science person, you know, you were going to be carrying the baby. He's like, this is just one thing that I don't want. And that's all I'm asking. 
And that's when it hit me that like, I really didn't ask him anything. And he just, he, he's awesome. Cause like there are things that he is very into that I'm not into. So like, you know, decorating a room, he'll send me for three days looking at wallpaper and nix them all. And I'm like, you know, you could be done in five minutes if you just did it yourself. Um, so like he and I have different roles. Um, if, but he's not like an emotional person. So if I would say to him, like, what do you need? He would be like, I don't need anything. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but that's, again, that's just him. Um, we have friends who, who were asking for male support groups and, you know, they were like, can we talk to your husband? And I'm like, he's really not going to be helpful. And I said to him, they want to talk to you. He's like, I'm not going to be helpful because I just let you do it. Um, but again, we're... What do you recommend in terms of couples? I'm just thinking about this as a point of a, a good moment to kind of ask, like, in terms of recommendation. If you're talking to a couple who are going through infertility, this, this seems to be a pretty important piece of what one person needs in terms of support can look very different than what the partner needs. What would you recommend? I mean, I'm thinking about it as you've got to check in with each other. You do have to figure out are we meeting the needs of the partner? And is the partner meeting our needs as well? Like it goes in both directions. What are your thoughts on that? So I just started to realize like the, the five love languages or whatever they are. Um, and so like, I see that if I provide for my husband, like at dinner's on the table or whatever, then he's happy. Um, but like, I need to talk about things, whereas he's okay listening. Um, but like, one of the things that I needed throughout the process was distraction. And I'm sure he needed a distraction also. So like one of the things that I thought of, like I needed to pick a hobby. And for me at the time it was exercise. But if you can, I know people talk about a date night, but if you schedule something, like we're taking a four week course or we're doing something. I mean, my husband likes golf. So like we went to the driving range, which I hate but whatever, it makes them happy. Um, so like if you're doing something that will break up that waiting time and making you think about it and distracting you, I think that that's like really important if you can schedule that. I mean, there are some husbands who don't want to talk, um, but you really need to find, find a friend, um, find someone who you could talk to about it, whether it's, you know, the taxi driver who you're never going to see again, but like keeping things to yourself are the worst thing that you could do because it'll eat you up inside. And if you just open up to anyone, if it's like the mail carrier, whatever it is, you never know what story you're going to hear from them. I mean, my mother was, you know, wanted to pay the gardener one time and the gardener was like, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't around last week. My wife, you know, had a miscarriage and went, and, and so my mother goes, oh, are you having infertility stuff? Because my daughter could talk. So I was on the phone with, and, and the, the miscarriage was so devastating to this woman that she said to her husband, I, I don't want to have any kids. And um, he really wanted to have kids. I didn't know that at the time. Um, so like I spoke to her on the phone, like this random woman that was like my mother's gardener's wife. Um, and after talking to her and just telling her like everything that I went through, she said, she got off the phone. She said to her husband, I'll give it one more shot. And they had a baby. And he says to my mother all the time, like, if you didn't say something or I didn't say something, like, I wouldn't have this kid because of just the conversation. Like, you, conversations springboard onto so many things. 
and what you're, you just, what you're highlighting is that I'm sorry for interrupting you that what you're highlighting is that idea that you may feel like you need to express yourself for the perspective of supporting yourself or receiving but what you're highlighting is this reality that if a person chooses to share with others you may actually end up supporting somebody else and being that voice of support for somebody else who's in struggle which is a really um more it's a, it's, it can feel different than just being on the receiving end when going through a hard time Right. It empowers you and it makes you feel good. I mean, you're not looking at it to like empower. You're looking at it to just be right. like, I'm in the same boat as you. But when you walk away and you're like, wait a minute, because, you know, that person is is walking away with more. Like, even if you just have a conversation and the person's like, oh, I didn't think about that. You just gave that person knowledge and knowledge really is power. And then they can bring it into their lives. And you just don't know where it's it's going to lead. I mean, I have so many friends now world, I call them my friends worldwide that I've just spoken to in a conversation and, and like, you know, I'm there for them in their journeys. Right. Talk to me at this point about how Yesh Tikva came around. How did we end up with a Yesh Tikva? So I was very vocal in my community about what I was going through. And so somebody approached me because they wanted to do a fundraiser for a fertility organization in our town. So I said, no problem. And I spoke and I gave my speech. And then a husband called and said, you know, my wife was saying how amazing your speech was. Can you tell me what you said? So I recorded it. And then I said, I think I put it on Facebook. Yeah, I put it on Facebook. And one of my high school friends um, who was living in Atlanta at the time said, do you mind if I, I'm doing a fundraiser for that organization? Also, do you mind if I use yours? And I'm like, yeah, no problem. And then another camp friend of mine saw it and she was like, she saw me in Florida for Pesach and she introduced her, like I introduced her. I'm like, oh yeah, this is my IUI baby. This is my IVF baby. And she was like, like totally taken aback. Um, and so she had in the back of her mind, like, I can't believe that Ellie talked about it. Um, oh, so the Atlanta person told the organization and the organization said that somebody in Washington Heights was doing a fundraiser and wanted to know if I could speak there. So, um, so I said, sure, no problem, I would go there. And then Gila was going through her, Gila Block, um, was going through her journey and she decided she wanted, she wanted something positive to come out of it. So she wanted to start an organization to support people going through infertility. And one of the people that she called was my camp counselor that I ran into in Florida. And so she said, this person gave me your phone number um, and she thought that maybe you'd be good to help with start this thing. And I said to her, there, there, you know, there are Jewish organizations out there. And she goes, but no one who does this. And what this was, was basically what I was getting from this fertility community that wasn't Jewish. And I was like, let me think about it. I'm not sure. Where do you live? Gila was living in Queens at the time, but her sister was helping to run this thing in Washington Heights that I was going to be speaking at. So Gila's like, I'll meet you there. And so I was like, okay, great. So um, we met there and I spoke and she heard my story. Um, and then afterwards, someone from the organization didn't understand like the tone of what the Washington Heights community was. And it was very evident that like it missed the mark. 
And Gila turns to me and she goes, and that's why we need a Yeish Tech. And I don't think we had the name Yeish Tech at the time, but she's like, that's why we need something else. And I'm like, okay, now I see where you're going with that. And so it was at the, at the beginning, there were five of us, everybody in Queens and me in New Jersey. So I, I remember like driving there on a Saturday night to Queens, didn't know where the heck I was going. Um, but we, we were all like giving different ideas and it was very evident with the five women there how different our personalities were and we all were faces of infertility. Like to me, someone wants me to be a kvater, yes, I'll take it. Other people are like, I can't believe they asked me, it's so embarrassing. And only then did I realize that nobody saw it the way that I did and that's okay. And that I needed to be more sensitive in the way that I speak to people because not everybody is gonna, I mean, somebody said to me, why would you be, why would you tell people that your twins are, are from fertility? It's so shameful. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Wow. And I'm like, wow. how could you not? Like, it's right. a miracle. Right. Right. So right. like, I, wow. I, that's how we began. And then Gila and I just ended up the, the last two standing and, uh, what she's turned it into today is, is unbelievable. And bringing you on board, which was because I spoke in Philadelphia, um, it was just, you, you never know where these conversations it's true. are. It's true. And one of the things I find so powerful as we kind of wrap up just from a perspective of supporting people, you know, this is the only really kind of virtual live spaces where we do supports that are not behind um, kind of the anonymity that is very necessary for many communities. And I think that by kind of encouraging, I don't want to use the word forcing, but encouraging people to come out of the shadows a little bit, what happens is that connection that you found in your, on your forums, in your listservs, that you, we've created that in Yeshikva in a way that is incredibly powerful. What I know is that many of these young women and older women have taken their connection and their relationship offline and um, which is really the ultimate to me where they've created these longer relationships and more deep relationships um, that has been incredibly supportive spaces for each of them. And I find that, you know, the power of people who say like, can you reorganize the schedule just so that I can make it because my work schedule is not movable, but maybe you got, you know, that, and that we can flex and bend. And somebody says, well, we need something like this for support in terms of donor conception, which is about, we're about to launch a support group for that. Um, for those that are considering or going through or parenting through donor conception, you know, to be so flexible and so open to what are the needs of the Jewish community and how can we serve those needs um, from a supportive space is remarkable. It's really, really remarkable. And hearing people come back week after week and hearing the voices of those that are in struggle and knowing that we've created that quiet room where they can kind of hold each other's hands virtually is remarkable. So I think, you know, from a, what I hear from you today, just kind of in summarization is that idea of um, people need different things, right? What was supportive to you was not necessarily supportive or needed by your husband, that you do have to find your space to um, meet those needs. It could be private spaces, it could be taxi drivers, it could be gardeners' wives that create that space, that when you do open and are um, unvulnerable or choose to be vulnerable with others about your experience and about your struggle, you really have incredible potential to help, to be a helper voice as well and to create connection with others and supporting others through that experience. And then I guess in you know, finally taking that pain and taking that challenge and creating something meaningful and, um, and how incredibly powerful that is 
in, in this generation, next generation, and the babies that will be born because of the support, you know, through, with the help and the support of organizations like Yesikva. So, Ali, thank you for sharing part of your story. I know we didn't get to, to the whole, we didn't get to all of it, but I am grateful for the time that you chose to spend with me today. Thank you so very, very much.